It's the Early Access Podcast, episode 55, September 7th, 2021. It's September, right, Kuehler? I can just make that up. It is September now, indeed. Kuehler is here on the show with me. It's Nate from Sale Shampoo. We are live at 4 p.m. Pacific every Tuesday, and uh, it's really late for Kuehler. It's not even Tuesday for you anymore, is it, Kuehler? It is Wednesday, 1.30. I learned very, very, uh, very, very late as I was editing the last episode, that there is a ridiculously long delay between when me and Kuehler talk because we're a couple 8,000 miles apart or something like that from California to Paris. So uh, we're making it work because I need her on the show so I don't forget to unmute my mic. Check us out, Spotify, iTunes. Let's get started. We had a lot to talk about this week, including I think every episode of the Earl Access podcast that we've done since we came back. I talked about a day off Twitch, that protest. The numbers are in on how that went. I predicted that it wouldn't go very well, and we have some actual hard numbers on how much it impacted people not streaming, not watching the platform. Uh, We're going to talk about some boneheaded thing YouTube said yesterday on Twitter that got deleted, and it didn't get that much attention. People roasted them so hard within the very short period of time YouTube had this deleted tweet. They, They got rid of it immediately, and it seemed like it didn't get around to very many people, but I still want to talk about it. Uh, we have the reveal of Call of Duty Vanguard, you know, Keeler and I, well, I'm not going to speak for you, Keeler. I definitely really like Call of Duty and, uh, the Vanguard multiplayer reveal was just today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that because this is a gaming podcast and some other stuff. But first we're going to talk about some fitness stuff. Uh, this is no, in no shape or form going to become a fitness podcast ever, but I talked about it in the first episode, uh, when we came back last week, I talked about how I was unfortunately laid off from my job. I've been unemployed for not two weeks yet, but we're get, we're pulling up on two weeks. So I've been spending a lot of time playing Pokemon cards and working out, and I'm feeling so much better. Uh, Ryan and some of my other friends have picked up rock climbing with me, and rock climbing is unbelievably... It, it's way harder than you'd think, and I already thought it would be hard. It just really puts into perspective how hilariously unrealistic Assassin's Creed is. Because I have, first off, I talked about this in a Population 1 video, I think many, many months ago. Uh, But I have this disability called essential tremors, and it's a neurological disorder that makes my hands really shaky. I I don't know too much about it, but it's actually more common than people think. Uh, So I can never become like a watchmaker or do anything that requires any amount of precision like lock picking or I'm sure I could lock pick some easy doors but anything that requires very very fine hand movement I have trouble with you can sometimes even see it if you're ever out with me at a restaurant and we're using chopsticks or I have to pour like a really heavy pitcher or something like that my hands are really shaky and my grip strength is super low I don't know if that's also a result of this neurological disorder uh, hilariously actually I talked about this in a population one video Because in Population 1, sometimes you have to take really, really long-range sniper shots, and my hands would shake. There's a setting in the game that you can move your smoothing up super, super high, so little micro-movements in your hands don't shake your gun as much as it would shake in real life. Then it's one of the perks of shooting in virtual reality. Then you don't have to take into account like wind or anything like that. But if I had to snipe someone at a long range, um, I would use this setting in Population 1 where I'd turn up the smoothing, So that way, it really took into account my macro movements when I was trying to snipe. By the way, for those of you guys who don't know, Population 1 is a Battle Royale VR game. So you have to use your real body and not just a keyboard, mouse, or controller to shoot. Which means the steadiness of your hands is really critical. And so going into rock climbing, 
uh, I feel my hands are just, they're so weak. Like it's not something I've been working out in particular, my grip strength. So I've started working on that a little bit. I am now in the upper 170s as far as weight. My goal was 180.6 according to my little health app. And I'm now in the upper 170s. I'm wearing a shirt right now actually that I've had for a couple years that when I was, I think I started out in the low 190s and I'm now on the high 170s. When I was in like the high 190 range, I could, I still fit in this shirt. It was really form-fitting, um, but it was a, just a little bit too tight. And now after dropping 10 pounds, a little bit more than that, fits perfectly. Fitted shirts is, it sounds stupidly obvious, and maybe I should have been doing this for longer or started working out earlier, but fitted shirts just, they're so clutch. They make you look so much better, even if you're not absolutely jacked. Uh, they're making you look good. So I've been eating really well. Um, I've been staying on the fitness grind. I want to stay accountable with it. I feel like coming onto the show and saying that, yeah, I ate a couple salads this week. I do eat like a complete asshole on Fridays when we have Korean barbecue, just all kinds of salt. But I'm speaking to the meal of having some eggs, having a Soylent. Uh, yesterday, I did have some Chipotle again, but I can kind of argue in my own head that Chipotle and Subway are relatively healthy as long as you don't get the meatball marinara from Subway. It's literally meatballs on bread and cheese, and it's delicious. And my mouth is starting to water right now. But uh, if as long as you're not eating like an absolute asshole, I feel like I'm feeling a lot better, and I've been waking up on time. So just a little bit of a news update on that. But last week we also talked about the Chinese. Uh, policy of not allowing minors to play video games between the hours of, I think it was eight and nine on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I thought of a good point that I forgot to say on the show, but Keeler, if you remember back on the H1Z1 streams, there would constantly be hackers gunning you down. They would shout China number one. And I'm sure there were some American players. I can never forget that. Of course. So I'm sure plenty of them were Americans just yelling China number one who had hacks. Um, but I know there's a big Chinese market for hacks. Warzone all the time. Hackers everywhere. There's no shortage of people with names in Mandarin and characters that I can't read. Just beaming people from across the map. And sometimes people are hacking when it's like, oh yeah, he kind of traced me through the wall maybe he heard me i'm not too sure and there's like that guy is absolutely clearly hacking i just came back from the gulag and he beamed me in the head as soon as i spawned in there's 1000 percent no way that he knew i was redeploying and just hit three perfect headshots on me as i was falling out of the air while moving left and right there's just no way so some people are hacking and i know there's like little light hacks like wall hacks and things like that. But then there's plenty of people who are hacking and they're just being insanely blatant about it. And I know there's a big Chinese market for hacks. And uh, yeah, one thing I didn't consider with this Chinese ban is that we might see less hackers in Call of Duty lobbies. Now, also, they're finally implementing anti-cheat into Warzone. Now, whether or not it's going to work is still up in the air. But Vanguard... Uh, and Binox, the developers of Call of Duty Vanguard on PC, are promising us anti-cheat. I have absolutely stopped playing Warzone. There's a couple things that I hated about it. Number one, the tall-ass buildings in downtown. I'm just, I'm I'm above average at Call of Duty. I have a two-point-something KD in Cold War multiplayer. Like, I'm above average. I win most of my gunfights. I've gone on some, some good streaks, and I've gotten a nuke. 
but I'm not so cracked that I can push a building with three people watching the one entry and beat all three of them. I know there's players out there who can do that. I am not one of them. I can take maybe one of them before the other one who's mounted on a wall just guns me down. I don't have the movement skill to do that. So Vanguard is also coming, Vanguard Warzone, with a new map. And this actually looks like a new map. The first Warzone map in Verdansk in Modern Warfare 2019. Shit map, I hated it. Uh, way worse than Blackout. Then they remade it. They just reskinned it for Cold War. It's the same freaking map. The stadium was less built. There's a color change. There's a giant random scaffolding in the middle of the map. Uh, but I also hated that map because it's literally the same map reskinned. This next map looks like it takes place in the Pacific front of World War II. And I don't know much about the World War II Pacific battlefield, but I'm pretty sure there are no 16-story tall buildings. So I'm excited to see if this map actually turns out to be uh, a little bit flatter. Because in Blackout, the tallest building didn't even have walls around it. It was in the northeast, I think, the big construction building. So it was really easy to contest, fly a helicopter up to, like whatever you needed to do. It wasn't sprinting upstairs or using a stupid zip line to get up it. Because if you use that zip line, someone's camping the zip line, that's a 100 to 0 gunfight. The guy camping the zip line will win every time if he's not an absolute dumbass. And I'm excited to see if this Pacific Island Warzone map actually works out to, to be more like, right, we're hiding in trees and bushes, but we're not camping four different corners on top of a tall-ass building. Because there have been games that I won where I was just... I was in downtown and I picked the best building. And of course, if you're absolutely cracked with a sniper rifle, you can probably make it out of there alive. But that's just not me. Like, if someone has a taller building that's more in the zone than I'm on, you just take that L. So, I'm excited to see if the new map is awesome. I haven't played the multiplayer yet. The multiplayer beta is coming up, I believe, this weekend. I did play 2v2 Champion Hill with Richard. Champion Hill is a lot of fun. The destructible environments are kind of neat. Uh, I don't know if I had fun because I enjoy small man game modes, which I do, or if because I was playing with Richard, it was a lot of fun because uh, I absolutely love playing with that guy. He's hilarious. But Champion Hill was was pretty all right. I had fun. I'm not too sure what my opinion on, that, um, on the game is yet because I haven't played core multiplayer. But core multiplayer also comes with actual three-lane freaking maps, which... Overall, if you were to take the average I enjoyed Treyarch maps versus the average I enjoyed Infinity Ward maps, Treyarch blows Infinity Ward out of the water. Infinity Ward has some iconic maps, of course, Shipment, Bog from uh, COD 4, Crash, High Rise from Modern Warfare 2, but they have some absolute shitters like Piccadilly and the new Call of Duty Vanguard game apparently has three lane maps, which is my absolute favorite. Well, I want low verticality. Right, we're talking maybe two stories occasionally, and Treyarch maps really stick to the hard, like two stories tops, a little bit of verticality, three lanes, lots of flanking routes. It's a formula that works that I enjoy, and it looks like Vanguard is going to be uh, doing three-lane map system. So, so far, they're impressing me. They are using the Modern Warfare movement system. Modern Warfare and Vanguard have very similar movement systems, while Cold War feels much different. There's no tack sprint. Sliding is very different in Cold War also. When you slide in Cold War, you always hit maximum speed. Where in Vanguard and Modern Warfare, it's uh, more momentum-based, where if you're going slow and you slide, you don't slide very far. And so uh, that'll be interesting and difficult for me to get back into the Modern Warfare movement system because I only play Cold War. They have 
doors back, unfortunately, in the multiplayer, which I absolutely hated in Ebdub 19. Because if you're trying to get into a room and someone's camping a corner, if there's no door, you can kind of like maybe check the corners before you go in. If there's a door, you have no idea. And the second you open that, the guy's going to know you're about to come in and, and prepare for you. So I absolutely hate doors, but they're destructible. They're adding destructible environments, which we don't really have in Call of Duty into Vanguard. And I'm interested to see how that'll work. You can take down walls and break glass and shoot down at people. I saw one of the maps has a little skylight you can shoot down to the lower lanes from, breaking walls and cover. Blind firing is going to be in the game, which sounds annoying at first glance, but I didn't even really use blind firing in games like Uncharted. But you can blind fire and mount. Mounting, I just hated in multiplayer. In Warzone, I could be kind of indifferent. But in multiplayer, it's just, I feel like a noob tool. Controlling your recoil is, is part of the skill of a game when you're playing an AR and trying to hold down a lane. If you just mount there and you can strafe left and right while mounting and you can blind fire into mounting, uh, I, I don't really like that. I would rather, you, are, you get the advantage of having already been ADS'd and aiming over a piece of cover and being covered. That, I think, is enough of an advantage, and, and mounting is coming back in multiplayer, and I was glad it was gone in Cold War, so not too excited about that, but we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I'm just really glad doors are destructible this time around. Now, the gunsmith system is coming back. I absolutely hate the gunsmith system. It is, it, it's just worse than Pick 10. Back in Pick 10, if you wanted, uh, we're talking back in COD 4. If you wanted reduced recoil on your gun, you put on the grip. If you wanted on the ICR actually zero recoil, you had to put on the grip too. And I think that took up two attachment slots and it took up two points on your pick 10 system. Like to get the better grip, you had to sacrifice more points. And in Call of Duty Vanguard, I watched the developer breakdown of the game. The game is designed with the gunsmith system and the devs straight up said that some of the weapons and some of the attachments sorry some of the attachments are just better the devs straight up said some of the attachments are just better than others which was fine in pick 10 because it cost more points to get a a better attachment but now some attachments are just objectively better and they're going to make you grind for that attachment they have the data they know people like grinding for attachments they know it's going to keep them on the game and, and keep them aiming for something. Even if they lose a match, they got some weapon XP so they can level it up. Uh, now they're even adding a leveling system to your operator. Like back in my day, Black Ops 1, all you had to do was level up your overall account. Like you went from Prestige 0 to Prestige 15. Now you have to level up and then you had to level your perks because we had pro perks. Now you're leveling up your guns. Now you're leveling up your operator and your level and it's, it's, there's so much of an RPG element to Call of Duty nowadays when all I really want to do is shoot people in the face. I don't care what my gun looks like. But anyway, some attachments just being better than others. I, I really hate the gunsmith system, and I kind of I kind of relate it to this. If you go to a restaurant and they have a gigantic menu, it's probably not a very good restaurant, right? You've never gone to a Chinese restaurant that also serves burgers. Like, it's either it's a great hole-in-the-wall Chinese restaurant where no one speaks English and it's hot and the food's super authentic, or it's an in-and-out. Or a Five Guys. I know some people hate it and out. Right. No, nowhere. There's not a restaurant on earth that serves top tier burgers and top tier Chinese food, right? Having a limit on the kind of food you serve is interesting. Limits are interesting, right? The having the limit of you can only have two attachments on your gun makes you make a choice. Like, oh, I want to have 
uh, uh, grip and grip two and a red dot. If you want a third attachment, that costs you a wild card and then another point for the attachments. You're spending so many points on your gun and you have to give up perks. That I find is interesting, right? If we're just decking out our guns to be super powerful, laser, high rate of fire, high damage weapons, and then we lose hip fire, and it's like, bro, well, we're using a... This is an AR, like, who cares about the hip fire? I, I don't find that as interesting. We're all just going to deck out our guns to be as good as possible without giving anything up. Uh, that's really why I just don't like the gunsmith system. Go ahead, Kiel. I, I do also find, like... When they have, like, the gunsmith system also, it just makes for, like, a less variety between the classes, too. Like, I remember in the older Call of Duty games, which for me was really just, like, Modern Warfare onwards, um, usually, like, you had several classes for, like, okay, here's, like, the high rate of fire, but, like, the not very high range weapon, or here's the super powerful one, but it's, like, clunky, and, and then... It's because you only had, like, two things to pick from, so you had to make, like, a variety of classes to kind of fit the different combinations, which now I kind of tend to stick to only, like, a few that are just got like the best weapons in the game completely modded out to hell yeah in cold war we use the same attachments every gun it's the field agent grip to reduce your horizontal and vertical recoil uh the airborne elastic which gives you the most ads time uh on my em2 i'm using a mag because it only has 20 bullets so you either go for like a fast mag or a 30 round extended and then you use the task force barrel, which just increases your damage, and it's you use the same five attachments yeah, on felt, every single gun. It, it, and if it you're felt not, really you're not boring, didn't it? It felt really boring when yeah. I was like, "Hey, what do I use for this gun?" And then it was just the same attachments every single time. I was like, "Well, then, what's the point of the system if I'm just going to pick the same attachments every single time?" Because I guess when you have so many options, eventually one wins out. Yeah, the first attachment is is just terrible, right? The flash hider on the muzzles like you're, you're never going to use that it's not useful in call of duty right meanwhile the last one the agency suppressor is a suppressor so it keeps you off the minimap and it gives you more range like everyone's just using that in Warzone when you have to shoot people from 200 300 meters sometimes like that's just objectively a good attachment to take right then you're going to take your sight to help you see at long range you're going to take a magazine which reduces your ads but you're not like snapping onto people all the time it's not multiplayer you're taking your your airborne elastic to cancel that out and it's just it's super boring like you can use different attachments but then they're just going to be suboptimal so i really don't like the pick 10 system or sorry i don't really like the gunsmith system i'd much rather have a pick 10 system so you have to sacrifice something right if you want the range then you have to give up a perk or you have to give up your hip fire accuracy and your ads time or something like that right when you have everything that's just not as interesting it, so, it, it does I feel a little more like uh like leveling up a character almost like, I'm going to level mm. up this gun until I can access the good upgrades to the gun, rather than necessarily being like, hey, what should I put on this one to make it do this or make it do that? It's just literally just, let me just keep playing this, let me keep using this gun while it's bad, so then I can get put the thing on it that's going to make it good. Yeah. And people are just playing, you can just play suboptimally, right? There's five attachments that you put on every gun, and anything else is suboptimal. And you can play suboptimally, and, and apparently people like that because they keep bringing back the gunsmith system. I, I feel like that doesn't make for a good system. If, if, you're, if you're changing up your gun in a way that is less optimal, right? Let's say you're using an AR and like, okay, instead of building it for low, low recoil, better range like everyone else is doing, let me build it for close range potential, better hip fire accuracy, then why don't you just use a shotgun, bro? Like, just, just use a shotgun and then build the shotgun for hip fire and ADS speed, and then, bam, there you go, right? I, I don't want every weapon to do everything. I want my ARs to do AR things. 
and there's some exceptions in between. And if you're just using an AR like an SMG, then just use a freaking SMG, bro. Uh, but yeah, I, I just really don't like the gunsmith system. The other thing, and this is a major change in Call of Duty that they've never done before. So the operator is a bit of a big thing, again, from MW 2019. I, I really, my main gripe with Call of Duty now is how influential MW 19 is in these future titles. Because we're taking its movement system, we're taking its class building system, we're taking its operator system now. And any operator in Call of Duty Vanguard can be used on either faction. So usually in pretty much every modern warfare, it's the British or the Americans versus the Russians. That's pretty much how it is every single time, right? In Cold War, it's like the CIA versus the Russians every time. And so in Call of Duty Vanguard, they're breaking it up and they're allowing you to use any operator on any team. And they have a variety of operators this time. Vanguard is more focused on... Uh, pretty much every part of World War II, from the Pacific, North Africa, Europe, everywhere. And so they have a lot of characters from different factions. I haven't seen a Nazi character yet in Call of Duty Vanguard, but if there's one thing I know about Call of Duty players is if you make a playable Nazi operator, we are going to get 6v6 Nazi fights. There's no way that they can incorporate the Germans into a World War II game and everyone picks that character because there's all kinds of silly clan tags, right? We already have people trying to spell Nazi in their clan tags with using a one in place of the I. We have people try, trying to use the N-word in their clan tags. I don't, I think Richard's clan tag is like pussy with the money sign as an S. I guess they're just not going to have Nazi operators and we're just going to have all the other operators from, from the Allies. Or maybe they'll make it in a way like I know in World War II... In Call of Duty World War II, there's a big controversy with the swastika in multiplayer maps. And I, I saw in some of the multiplayer maps from Vanguard, they replace it with the... Do you do you know anything about that, Kyo? The plus? Like, what is what is that a symbol of? Oh, the Iron Cross? I yeah, believe yeah. it was. Yeah, it's an old German symbol. I mean, it's it's a... It's kind of like how the swastika is, like, not real. Like, obviously, if I see someone with, like, an Iron Cross tattoo, like, walking down the street, they're really uh, suspicious. But for the um, like, but for the sake of iconography, the Iron Cross has been a symbol of Germany for, like, several decades, even and for a long time prior to World War II. But because of that, it was still a symbol during World War II, so they tend to use that. Um, other games have done the same thing. I remember Red Orchestra 2, which is considered a much more realistic World War II game, never did not actually have the swastika either, although no one seemed to really mind about that one. This is not supportive of Tripwire, given recent news, by the way. Um, but So yeah, I think it, it was kind of their way to just say, hey, this is Germany, and I think everyone's going to understand what that means anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're using the Iron Cross on the maps now. I, I'm interested to see what kind of operators they use because they have operators from all different kinds of backgrounds, which I think is interesting. They have operators who were kind of forced into the war. They have operators who signed up for the war and from all different factions. They have Japanese operators, American ones. It'll be interesting to see if we literally just have Nazis fighting Nazis in Vanguard multiplayer because if there's one thing I know, one of the reasons I still play Cold War is because people are just so offended. We had a guy the other night, and I can make so many TikTok videos, maybe I should. We had a guy the other night who went, fuck you, Nikki, fuck you, bra, fuck you, Ryan, just went down our team after we beat him, and personally said fuck you to every single one of us. I think they're actually designing Call of Duties now to minimize that post-game chatter, because you only get the final kill cam, and then the lobbies break up. The lobbies don't stay together anymore. Sometimes you can get back with the same people and continue talking shit, but they've definitely done... 
uh, some some research and design their game purposefully so that you only get about 15 seconds of yelling at each other at the end of the game and it's over. Back in Modern Warfare 2, you would yell during the final kill cam and then you'd yell in the lobby. You'd yell as you were voting for the map or voting to skip. And then you'd yell going into the map and then you'd fight each other. It was just constant yelling back in Modern Warfare 2 and they've broken up the flow purposefully, I imagine, in Call of Duty Cold War. And so uh, if there's one thing I really enjoy about Call of Duty, we literally went on like a 55 win streak the other day. I didn't get the full 55 because I disconnected out of a game. But just death chat, having people swear and say mean things to you is just absolutely hilarious. And then listening to get madder and madder until the very end of the match when they just explode on you uh, is, is one of the main reasons I still play Call of Duty, to be completely honest. So uh, I'm interested to see if... Uh, People continue to be angry in Vanguard and, and very racist. If there's one thing about Call of Duty players you can count on, it's you, you're you going to get... I think the other day, I, I played my first game of Call of Duty. Killed one guy, got called a racial slur. It was record timing. I, it was the first guy I killed, Death Chat. He was just incredibly furious. So Vanguard's looking like it'll be all right. Um, I'm interested to see if their anti-cheat actually works. I think that's the biggest news is they're finally implementing anti-cheat. And that's a big reason I don't play Warzone is because you just get beamed by a hacker every other game. We ran into a squad of hackers last time I played. We were playing with one of our guys has like a .4 KD. And we ran into a team of four hackers. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not outgunning these guys. So um, I hope it goes well because uh, I need games to play, obviously, now that I'm unemployed. All right, last week we talked about a day off of Twitch, and if you guys didn't uh, didn't know about what was going on, on September 1st, a bunch of streamers pledged to not stream on Twitch, and a bunch of viewers pledged not to watch, and this is fueled by people wanting to get attention on to Twitch, because they haven't really been doing anything about hate raids on the platform. There have been people DDoSing people, flooding their chats, forcing them to do things like follower-only mode, or um, subscriber only mode, which is suboptimal for engaging your viewers and, you know, getting raids from friends. You can, there's a measure on Twitch you can do where you only allow raids and hosts from friends. I think it's raids and hosts. Maybe it's just raids, but by doing that, you might, uh, stump yourself on some discovery because I've certainly been raided by big streamers who later became friends, or maybe it was just a one-time thing. Uh, just randomly looking through, hey, this guy's cool, and that he was playing Dead by Daylight or Revolve or whatever, let's send him a raid. And if I had that setting on that only allows raids from friends, that would stump that kind of growth. So um, pretty much a lot of the measures that are in place hurt the streamer in some way. And so a day off Twitch um, was trying to raise awareness for getting better tools, protecting creators, and making sure that uh, Twitch is moving in a direction that stops these hate raids from going on because they're really targeting marginalized creators, women, people of color, disproportionately. And so I said last week on the podcast, and I wish I dropped a number, but I, I said I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to have a measurable impact. And I'm just going to drop the raw numbers here. There were a couple things, though, first that, that changed the numbers up a little bit. Number one, Dr. Lupo and Tim both moved off of Twitch. They moved to YouTube last week. They got fat contracts that I'm sure paid the hell out. And so that's going to impact the Twitch platform a little bit because they were a massive draw. There's also around right about now, September 1st, people going back to school. And so that will be a little bit of a drop also. Um, and then the previous week was Gamescom, which also 
drove views, especially internationally, because Gamescom takes place in Germany. So if you were to compare last numbers weeks, it was last week's numbers were probably extra high. I guess last last week, that'd be two weeks ago, were extra high because of Gamescom. Um, but we have the hard, hard numbers. The most conservative estimate, the lowest estimate, was it dropped Twitch's view count by 5.4%. We're looking, the overall decrease was 10 to 15. And without Tim or Dr. Lupo, it was 8.4% viewer drop-off. And then back to school, we're looking at like a 7 to 12% drop-off. The lowest estimate taking all those things into account was a 5.4% drop in viewership for Twitch. And I was saying last week, Twitch has plenty of other activations going on. We have things like Twitch Rivals, brand deals, all, all kinds of things going on on Twitch. Twitch drops that um, just losing viewership and just losing ad revenue isn't going to really impact Twitch's bottom line. And this was only one day. And the estimate, anywhere from 54 to 15%. 15% pretty notable. 5%. You know, that's also nothing um, nothing to ignore, I think. That is a good amount of people coordinating. And I don't think there was any doubt in my mind that people were going to participate in this because there's no other day of the year that people are going to try to actively avoid watching and streaming on Twitch. So, of course, the one day of the year where that happens, we are going to see a drop-off. And so it'll be interesting to see if we can keep the pressure on Twitch to get them to actually provide tools and, and their responses. We're working on things in the background. We just can't tell you exactly what because that's just going to tell the people who are harassing people, the people who want to do these hate raids, just going to tell them what we're doing so they can get around it. That's why we're keeping things kind of secret. And so I, I do think Twitch is trying their best. Uh, they are certainly working internally and they're aware of the issue. And I usually don't have faith in them, but I'm also not entirely sure um, what they're going to end up doing. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep the heat on because this was only one day. Plenty of people were talking about it. Of course, I'm talking about it, but who am I? Plenty of news channels are covering it. Plenty of streamers talking about it on Twitter. And uh, it definitely got attention. It's just whether or not that they can keep up the pressure, maybe do another Twitch boycott, uh, maybe have some internal conversation and actually get some results out of Twitch. And uh, we'll see if that actually ends up happening. But my prediction was it wasn't going to have a super significant impact. And I wish I dropped numbers last week. But 5 to 15% is about what I was thinking. I definitely didn't think that 30, 40% of people would be off the platform. I did try myself to avoid watching in solidarity um, with all these other people. I tried to avoid watching Twitch from uh, midnight my time to... I actually caved in around 9 p.m. because there was a Pokemon stream I wanted to watch. And they're on the East Coast, so it was midnight there. But uh, I hope that eventually we see some results because... I mean, I've told plenty of stories about me and people wanting to kill me on Twitch. So I hope it eventually becomes a safer place for everyone. I think we should always be progressing towards making sure that, it, you know, anywhere, whether it be on the internet or in real life, people are as protected as possible. Anyway, YouTube said something absolutely boneheaded the other day, and they deleted this tweet so quickly. Uh, the screenshot that I have had it only at 828 likes, but... I don't think that a lot of people saw it and they deleted it super quickly. So this is a tweet from YouTube. And I'm actually, I should preface this with, it's not that boneheaded, but it's really boneheaded in the context that YouTube is saying it. It's it's at least not racist. It's at the bar we're at now on the internet. At least it wasn't racist. I think we've been there for a while, to be fair, but yeah. So YouTube tweeted out uh, yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday, September 6th. Creators are proof people can feel like family, even if you've never met them. And this was 
this was really stupid. Plenty of people on my timeline retweeted this and they they got rid of it really quickly. But the it's very problematic to to encourage this kind of behavior. Now, parasocial relationships, this is actually something I studied in broadcasting school for a little bit, are a little bit different on Twitch than they are for movies or uh, or for a celebrity, right? So if you have a parasocial relationship with, say, Robert Downey Jr., he's probably literally Ned's never said something to you, right? Or a celebrity, right? Your favorite singer or someone on the radio. If you have a parasocial... And for those of you who don't know, parasocial relationships are one-way relationships, right? So actually, this is a fun example. At one point, Kuehler and I had a parasocial relationship. Kuehler watched me on YouTube and I had no idea who she was. And then eventually I found out she lived... Well, used to live. You live in Paris now. But lived 20 minutes away from me. And then we met up in real life. And it's all good. And now she's helping run the show. Parasocial relationships, when it comes to content creators, is is a little bit more blurred. So if you listen to your favorite artist, they have never probably said a word to you. If you have a streamer on Twitch that you really like, you are maybe one of what? 20, 50, 100, 200 viewers? Right? And they might know your name and you might give them bits and they'll say, oh, Nikki, thanks for the 100 bits. Or you might give them five gifted subs and they recognize you and they'll remember something about you. I'll say something like, I don't actually type in a lot of people's streams unless they're opening Pokemon cards, but I'm going to use myself for an example. You know, they might know that I lost my job recently or I run the Early Access podcast. They might ask about that. And that's less of a parasocial relationship. It's it's a bit more one-sided because you're still watching them. They're an entertainer. Um, but the line's a little bit more blurred there. Whereas a parasocial relationship, I think by definition, is more like, you know about ex-celebrity, and ex-celebrity has no idea you exist. You're just a fan, right? And so when you blur the line with the streamer and the fan relationship, you can legitimately make friends. I'm not saying you can't make friends as a streamer and legitimately connect with people. I know people who literally are dating people that they have met on Twitch. That's not an uncommon thing. But when you blur the line and that relationship doesn't, for whatever reason, uh, someone doesn't want to accelerate that into a more personal thing where you talk individually off stream, that can be problematic. The biggest example is when people show up to streamers' houses. No one's ever done that for me. Thank God. Please don't. But there have been plenty of times where a fan knocks on someone's door and says, hey, I was in the area. You want to have like, this is a super bad invasion of privacy if they weren't previously invited there. And it can be super scary, especially if you're a minor internet celebrity, right? At my peak, I had 13,000 followers or something like that. Like, I'm not super well-known. And if one out of 13,000 of you are fucking insane and figure out where I live and show up in my house, that could be particularly scary. I probably don't know what you look like. I know your username. And I, I very well might know a couple things about you, but I have no idea what you look like calling the cops and I think that's a that's a normal reaction a lot of people would have some people have very very not so great relationships uh with content creators whether they be you know someone small with a thousand followers or someone even moderately sized with six digit followers or someone even bigger like PewDiePie and YouTube tweeting out creators are family even though you never met them bro I mean to some streamers don't treat them like money bags obviously some people do and and, you know, that's them. There, there, there are those controversies where streamers have gotten mad and said, $5. You can't give $5 a month. I'm here entertaining you every day. And that was that was parody. People got really mad at that. But come on. Let's, let's read between the lines here. Let's look a little deeper. They're obviously doing that to get attention. But anyway, point is, don't show up at people's houses. Encouraging 
this kind of relationship when it's not welcome. And I know this is especially true with female streamers. Don't hit on female streamers is is a, a mainstay in pretty much every female professional female content creator I know. Don't hit on them. That it is an incredibly low success rate. I actually can think of one example where it was successful. But for most of you, it's not going to work. Don't do it. Uh, it has happened to me before. I have had, I've had very very few women, but a couple guys hit on me, and I am, I I am very straight, and it's flattering. And feel free to offer me a compliment because I I am very. I think men in general are just very compliment deprived, but uh, you definitely don't want to hit on Nikki if you're a guy because it's just it's not going to work out. I'm just not interested. Anyway, at least it wasn't absolutely boneheaded. It wasn't something uh, super racist that YouTube tweeted out, but it was uh, still stupid in the context of they're a site, they're a content creation site, and they should encourage this kind of behavior. Yeah, I also want to add that, so obviously when we first started, things were a bit parasocial, right? Because you didn't really know me, but I was obviously watching your videos as they came out. But I remember I subscribed to your channel through someone that we both mutually knew, no names obviously on the public podcast, but so as a result, even when we did meet, it was still like a... You had, it's, it's like a liability almost, right? That I knew someone, I was friends with somebody who was like friendly with you. So there's like at least a connection there that, you know, I'm not just some yeah. random person that's, you never known or could be a serial killer. Cause th there was something through that. There was the, you know, it was a, there was something more personal even there from the beginning. So it was more natural and easier to move on to seeing each other in person and whatnot. Whereas I think had you been like, a big streamer at the time, which you weren't even a streamer, and I was just some random viewer, it would be a little strange, definitely there, and I don't think it would have been as, as close at the time. Because you were very small when I subscribed, you were like 30 subscribers on YouTube or something. And again, because it was, and it was just because I had a friend say, hey, this person has a YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm back posting Modern Warfare 2 gameplays. I, I've met fans, I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm super popular, but I have met fans in real life. I think the most notable... The one I remember the most is I really had to pee at TwitchCon and I got stopped by like two different people uh, on the way to the bathroom. I, I Guys, I really had to pee. But there is one that happened once. And it's totally cool to like go up and meet people and shake their hand. Just don't be weird about it. Uh, I actually don't shake my hand nowadays. Give me a fist bump. But there is one that it's totally okay to go up to people and be a fan. And there's one instance where I actually had, I think it was my first real life Tinder date ever. I think, I think maybe it was my first or second. But anyway, I'd been on Tinder for a month or two, matched with this girl. We were talking for a couple weeks, and she was going to be at a convention that I was at, um, that, or that I was going to be at. And I said, hey, let's meet up at the convention. I'll, uh, I'll take you out afterwards. And so I was playing at the Fortnite mini golf booth before going up to meet her. I, I was playing a round of Fortnite mini golf, and uh, then I went over to meet her at her booth. And... A week passes and I'm back on stream after that date happens and someone pops in my stream and says to me, hey, Nikki, I saw you golfing at the Fortnite booth. I wanted to come say hi, but you looked busy. I wish I, I really, really wish he would have come up to me while I was talking to that girl because I mean, it's no secret. I'm at TwitchCon. I wasn't going to say the name of the convention, but I guess it's necessary for context. I'm at TwitchCon. I'm a streamer. I have the partner badge on, so I kind of can't hide it. I wish that that guy came up to me as I'm talking to her in real life for the first time. Like, yo, you're Nikki from Stell Shampoo? Bro, I'm a big fan of your Evolve content. And that 
that would have been the biggest dick, the the, mo- the most confidence boosting thing that could have happened in that moment. I've I probably only a dozen times had anyone come up and talk to me um, as a fan. And that would have been perfect timing. But the dude didn't want to do it because I was too busy. Please, if you got, if you see me at a convention, absolutely come up to me. If you see me mowing my lawn outside my house, leave me the fuck alone. But in that context, I think it's totally fine to go up and, and say what's up to someone. Especially because I'm there as Nikki, the Twitch partner. Like It literally says it on my badge, even though I'm like super washed up at the time. Actually, one of the reasons... Um, because I talked, I was getting back on the dating scene. We've said it on the podcast before. One of the reasons I took down the podcast for a little bit is because when you're back on the dating scene, if you have a gigantic internet footprint, like I do, I might have one of the biggest internet footprints out of anyone Kuehler knows. I certainly have the biggest internet footprint out of anyone I know. You're just at a major informational disadvantage when it comes to dating. If you have like a gigantic Twitter history, a bunch of clips of you on either live stream fails or things you've posted around the internet. You have it's easily thousands of hours of me talking and I'm, I'm not playing a character or anything. I'm just absolutely myself on camera. Um, there's tons of footage of me at official events on stage and all that stuff. And so it's very easy to figure out what I like. And that informational disadvantage can be rough in dating. And when you talk to fans, I think that's one thing people need to realize is that if you come up to me, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm super famous and important anymore, but this was back in the day. If you come up to me, you know what my favorite monster in Evolve is and who my friends are. And, oh, yeah, he's at this convention with Fire Punch and all these little things about me. And when you come to me as a fan, I have I have no idea. I don't know anything about you. I've probably never seen your face before. I might recognize your username and then be able to recall a couple things you said. But there is a significant informational disadvantage when you're talking to someone who you're a fan of. And this goes the other way, too. I'm a big fan of a couple of content creators that I've met in real life before. And I know everything about them. Drifter, my good friend Drifter, is one of them where I kn- I've been watching him for longer than I've been doing content creation. And so I know everything from like how he proposed to his wife to his Tesla troubles. And he's told me things privately that then he has released in YouTube videos afterwards. I I know so much about him. There's informational disadvantage that I think you need to be aware of when you're talking to someone, because, you know, if you're on a first date and you both know nothing about each other, you go through the normal bullshit of like, Oh, Hey, what do you do for a living? What are your hobbies? Where do you live? All that kind of stuff. Right. And when one person knows all of that and one person doesn't, it can make for a really weird uh, social dynamic that I think can be overcome, uh, but can be troubling if people don't take that into context properly, um, especially when YouTube tweets out super things like careers are proof that people can feel like family, even if you've never met them. It feels like family one way and you need to be aware of that. Uh, and of course, there's always like right time, right place, right? If you just so happen to see me at a convention, that's totally chilling. Come say what's up. But uh, I think even if you see me, if you see me at a grocery store, that's totally chilling. If I were to see someone I like at a grocery store, you know, I'm, I'm very aware. Actually, I saw Freddie Wong once, of course. That's a very one-way relationship, right? I saw him at E3 one year. And, of course, I know who Freddie Wong is, if any of you have been living under a rock. Long-time YouTuber. Big production person, especially as someone in broadcasting myself. I, of course, know who Freddie Wong is. And I've watched a lot of his tutorials. And he's also a big rhythm game nerd. But, anyway, I saw him at E3 once. And I think I, I had the perfect... I have the perfect mindset when interacting with someone like that. I know who he is. He has no idea who I am. And we were at the Guitar Hero live booth, and I went up to him, like shook his hand, said what's up. And the way his body language was, I, he wasn't being disrespectful at all, but I could very clearly tell he was he was busy and may not have had time to talk. 
And uh, so I spoke to him a little bit. He's like, yo, man, I love video game high school. Like, I'm in broadcasting also. You've been a big inspiration. And he's like, oh, cool, man. He was polite. Um, but I could tell he, like, wasn't really in a position to talk or anything like that. So I excused myself. Dipped out. And a couple minutes later, he was, like, on stage at the Guitar Hero live booth. This was E3 a couple years ago, like, playing. And so he was very clearly busy. And I think picking up on those social cues. Actually, maybe that's the whole thing I'm trying to get across here, Kuehler. Is social cues are important. Now, I might be overly sensitive to social cues. If someone so much as, like, turns their shoulders as they're talking to me, I'm like, I'm out, this person doesn't like me, right? But some people just don't pick up on that shit at all. And I'm especially sensitive to them if I'm talking to a woman. I like the cue that you mentioned where you said, like, I I find that a lot of times when when someone goes to these public events, when, like, a content creator goes to these events, um, they have to put almost, like, a semi-apology saying, like, hey, I'm not, like, being mean, I was just busy, which you, you picked up on and you were like, he looked busy to me. Because a lot of people actually usually interpret that as they're being cold to their fans or something. But I, I guess you've been on the other side of this, that these people, when they go to big events, they're usually not there to just kind of chill and wander. They usually have like event after event after event. And they, it's it's exhausting and your mind's all, all busy and going all over the place. And so naturally they're usually not up to just kind of chatting to every single person but it doesn't mean they're not grateful or that they're being like they don't like you or something which can be hard i guess if you have that relationship where you imagine them being this wonderful person and being like they are in the camera as far as real life also i have my own like freddie wong story where i did not even say hello to him because he was having it was a everyone was like at the bar at the the foundry and he was chatting with uh, Sun Wong Cho or however, the guy who does the... Oh, yeah, the voice actor. Yeah, the voice yeah. actor. And, like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, you know, these two these two talk talking to each other, I'm just not even going to try. Like, I don't belong in this conversation. They, <laughs> they're they going to go and do their own thing. And I'm cool with that, honestly. Like, I, I just do the same thing as you do. I just be like, hey, I like your videos, which... He, he doesn't need to hear that necessarily from me. I'm sure he'd appreciate, like, a, like a thank you, but... You know, I, I'm pretty sure he was having a great conversation when that was going on. They were friends. But Q is about regarding, like, people can be busy and sometimes it's not always, like, a dislike or a like situation. Sometimes they just don't want to talk at the moment. Sometimes that actually works out. Uh, one time I was at a Monster Cat party and I was in the, I think I was in the partner lounge. Or maybe I was in the smoke area or something like that. And where I was actually just talking about Call of Duty Vanguard, where I learned a lot about Vanguard. And the only multiplayer gameplay I watched from it was from Hutch. And I actually met him before, and uh, I went up to him and said, hey, you're that gaming sex god, because that's what he'd tweet out, ironically. Uh, and we had a really good conversation, and he really, uh, he was like, just, he was just chilling. He was standing in the smoke area, not doing anything. Like, that was a good opportunity to come say what's up to him, tell him I appreciated his videos. Um, and then after, like, five or ten minutes, I didn't want to take up too much of his time, I dipped on out. But there, there are ways to, like, approach these kinds of people. Hutch, of course, isn't as big as as either of those guys, Freddie Wong or... I forget the voice actor's name. Sung Wong. Uh, he likes it Sung when Wong, you use his full name. I forget his, yeah. like, last name um, or family name, but yeah. Yeah, someone. Pro ZD. <laughs> but yeah, he's still a gigantic... He's an, a very OG Call of Duty YouTuber. So I have had, like, great experiences talking to people who, who I put on a pedestal and I know are, like, super big and super inspirational to me. Um, but yeah, if they're busy, I've been on both sides of it too. Like I've just been working conventions before and like have had a fan come up to me. I've never had it happen so often that I was annoyed by it is the thing, right? Like every convention back when I was a professional Twitch streamer, 
maybe like half a dozen people would come up to me and like shake my hand, give me a fist bump, be like, oh yeah, I watch you play Titanfall or Evolve or, or Dead by Daylight or The Last of Us or whatever. Uh, it never happened to me so often where it got annoying. And I would always try to give those people time. But sometimes I was just in a rush. Like I had to get from the West Hall to the East Hall in the LA Convention Center in 10 minutes. And if you guys have ever done that, it's nearly impossible. Like you gotta, you gotta speed walk. So I'm like, hey, yo, walk with me. Let's talk, bro. I don't want to like totally blow you off. Um, I've, so I've never been so big to where I've just been like super annoyed by it. And it is flattering every time it happens. I can imagine eventually it does like kind of get annoying, especially as the fame increases, the obligations increase even more. And so I can imagine where it happens more often. So it's less novel to someone where, where it, to me, it's still a little novel and they have more responsibility to do so. Uh, just, I think the ultimate kind of lesson here is just pick up on social cues. I am probably overly sensitive to social cues, but uh, if someone doesn't like you, dip the hell out. Some people just don't pick up on that. Uh, I've definitely, I, I, I have a lot of nerdy hobbies, especially when it comes to card games. If you have a bad opinion on Pokemon, I don't want to listen to you. Like if you say, play this card, and I'm like, nah, bro. And then you drone on for 30 minutes about how it's a good card and I disagree. And then you go on and talk about how, like, you won an event, like, four years ago. Dude, like, I just don't care. I just don't care, bro. Let's talk for five minutes, but don't go on for 20 minutes. Because you think you play a Pokemon round, right? And a round is one hour long. And let's say I finished my round of 40 minutes. I got 20 minutes. I had 20 minutes to get water, go to the bathroom. And if you're going to sit here and drone on to me about how your round went... I got, I got to get some water and go to the bathroom, dude. And uh, I feel like in the nerdier hobbies, when it comes to like conventions and card shops and things like that, people are less apt to pick on those social cues. And I wish they were. And I think that's the ultimate lesson here. All right. That's all I have to talk about this week on the Early Access Podcast. We'll be back at 4 p.m. Tuesdays so the cure can make it because it's late out in Europe. But thanks for watching the show. I'm just thinking still shampoo. Join us on Spotify, iTunes, and Discord.gg slash Still Shampoo for updates. Thanks for watching the Early Access Podcast videos. Nikki Kuehler is here also, and we'll see you guys all next week, 4 p.m. PT on Twitch.tv slash Still Shampoo.